so we're talking about small groups. We're talking about community groups. And we are moving towards them. We, we talked about the fact that we're going back to what is the original DNA of the imprint of our church when we first started. Small groups were a core philosophy of when Northview was planted back in 1999. And so... Uh, we got away from that, not on purpose. We got away from that because of history and all these different things that happened. People said, why didn't you have small groups when you first came? Because we were a small group. All right. Um, everybody knew everybody. We knew each other's name. If we had a family meal, we just rolled out uh, the tables and we were all there and we all visited. And it was many of us remember those times and pretty spectacular memories. Well, now we've gotten larger. If I said this morning, is there anybody here this morning who could stand up and name every person in this auditorium, the odds are there's no one. I can't even do it, right? And there was a time when I had all the names and the phone numbers memorized. That's no longer true anymore. So, and there's, there's a first service, right? So even if you could do this service, you couldn't do the first service. So there's a need for us now to break into smaller groups for the simple reason is that you can't know everybody, but you should be known by somebody, Somebody should know your name. You should have a posse. You should have a tribe. You should have a place where you belong where they don't walk and say, hey, what's your name again? But they walk in and say, hey, Rich. Oh, Rick, you know, good to see you. And, and Jim and Rachel, oh, glad you're back. Or where were you last week? There's, there's the need for that kind of connecting. And there's also the need for many of our new families coming for a place where they can connect in. It's hard to walk into a group this big and figure out where the current and the flow is. Right Now, I know we're not all here this Sunday, but when this place fills up, it fills up pretty full. It's hard to get that all figured out. So I want to give you four, well, four things out of a, a passage this morning, then two extras. Right? You get two free of charge. And uh, we're going to look at this morning, but let's pray. Father, as we uh, look at this this morning and, and head towards this, the universe is not a vast, empty space. It is filled with community. Because it's filled with you and you are the actual essence and description of community. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, same essence, different roles, same value. And uh, you have defined community in a way that unless you had revealed it to us, Lord, we would have never gotten it. We would have never seen it. It's not something that uh, we come naturally by. And you have expressed community all through your scripture, all through history. And Lord, we're a great beneficiary of that. And we love what you put together. And when you said, let's make man in our image, one of the things you wired us for is community. To know and to be known. And so we seek you this morning as we walk through the benefits that uh, if you need to make a point or you need to emphasize something and uh, there's a place of, uh, you want to say, that's for you. I want to open the service up to you that that happens. You have the freedom to do that. And we give that to you. Great hope in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so we've uh, been working out of this passage, and this is found in Acts 2, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. I want to pull them apart this morning quickly. Just look at them. Why it would be a benefit for you to be in a small group. All right, so if you're in a small group, this will just underline it. If you're not in one, this is meant to convince you. Yes, I am trying to sell you. Yes, straight out of here, here's the hook. We want you to be in a community group. Now, understand that not everybody can do it all at once, right? There's schedules, timing, all that kind of stuff. But as you move through the year and as the year rolls on and as different groups are open up, I guarantee you God's going to open up one that you can be a part of. And we are asking 
trying to convince you that you should do that, right? That this is in your best interest. So let's take a look at this. So the first thing we notice is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was their large group meeting. They met on the steps of the temple. The steps of the temple could hold hundreds, if not thousands of people. And so the apostles would get up and they would stand up and they would start telling the stories. This is when I was walking with Jesus. This is what happened. And here's what he taught when we were in the garden together. And so all these people were listening to it. And then they went back at night and then they talked about it. It says they were devoted to the apostles. The idea they're devoted is it caught their attention. It consumed them. It galvanized them. It was the topic of conversation. They couldn't get enough of it. And I would suggest that the apostles were doing a great job on that, and that's one of the reasons why. But I'd like to give you another avenue of thought this morning, why this was such a a lightning, quick-fire expression thing. Um, When you think about it, it had to be electrifying. It had to... I would say stunning and mind-blowing all at the same time. What, what are you talking about, Steve? What, what was stun, stunning or mind-blowing? Think about it from their perspective, right? This is the Lord's promised people. They have been in synagogue all their life. They've grown up. Many of them have memorized whole books of the Old Testament. Uh, they've worked with the Torah. Uh, they've done all this stuff, so they know the word well. And, uh, but they suddenly saw it in a different way. Go to that passage in Luke 24, the Emmaus Road. And the story, as you go along, he's walking along with them and, he, and the two disciples, a couple of disciples are walking and they're heading and they're grieving. They're, they're just shook. Everything they landed on is blown up. Uh, Jesus was put to death. They're just in grief. And this guy comes along and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And the response is, are you the only person in Jerusalem who's not heard about this? I.e., everybody knew. Out of that million and a half, three million pilgrims and people in the city, they, that was the topic of conversation. And so they were talking like crazy. And like, haven't you even heard about this? And so they're talking. And, and then Jesus says this to them because they don't recognize him. And by the way, I'd like to make a point off of this. We, we look at the disciples and say, you dumb disciples. How could you not know that was Jesus, right, you idiots? I want to suggest something to you. God has a way of camouflaging himself, and he could be walking right next to you, and you wouldn't get it. And that there's times when uh, he's coming alongside, having a conversation. It's only till after you realize, oh, that was the Lord talking to me. You ever look back in your history and realize, oh, that was the Lord setting that up or walking with me. And that was this case with them. God can surprise us in many different ways. But he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did you not know that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I.e. there was a plan being followed and the plan was carried out. In, and beginning with Moses, in other words, he went back to Moses, started back in the Old Testament, so you're all the way back into the Deuteronomy. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, they hadn't put the piece together that all the stuff that had been in the scripture about Messiah was about Jesus, and even a lot of stuff they hadn't paid attention to or understood was suddenly about Jesus. And they said to each other, if you go a little farther down, 
It says, they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like, man, when that guy was talking to us, just lit up. Wow, how did we not get that, right? Suddenly they recognized who it was that had been talking to him. He had disappeared, and they realized that it was Jesus. They were suddenly able, not just these disciples, but the whole nation, the whole city, was able to see it through a difference. Can you imagine what Isaiah 53 looked like all of a sudden when you realize that Jesus was the person it's talking about? Like, whoa! Now, if you don't know what Isaiah 53 is, go this week, grab your Bible, look up Isaiah, take chapter 53. You can even read the last part of 52. And just look at what it says. And they looked at that for the very first time and realized that was speaking about Jesus. Whoa, where else was he found? And they found hundreds, if not thousands of places that revealed Jesus. So they were like having these Bible studies and people going, hey, do you remember this one? And what about this one? And and they were just lit up, suddenly realizing that Jesus was that person. He had fulfilled all of that. And they were finding all the scriptures that they'd never seen that way before. I want to suggest something for us. Likewise, scripture can come alive for us in the same way, literally. When Jesus literally opens our eyes to things we've never seen or heard about him before. Um, I'm coming from this viewpoint as one who's read the word a lot. I've, uh, for the last 35 years, have read through the Bible once a year uh, for the last 35 years, along with reading a lot of the other books and also um, studying a lot, all right, for messages and that kind of stuff. And there are things when I'm reading along, and I know I've read that passage at least a couple dozen times, if not a couple hundred times, and all of a sudden something jumps out of it, and I'm like, where did that come from? How did I never see that? You're kidding me. But I realize as I've grown, as, as I've, my walk with the Lord has gone longer, as I've gotten more mature, that's a new word for older, right? All of a sudden, God's able to pull something out that I hadn't seen before. And I realized there's levels in the word that are absolutely astounding. You can never fathom the depth of God. You can never fathom the brilliance or the mind of God. And don't ever think you've got him figured out. And always remember, he hasn't played all his cards. We may have played ours. He hasn't played all his. All right? We are talking about the king of the universe. And they were looking at this. It came alive. And, and I just want to say, a lot of us were reading through the Bible. And the odds are fairly good that for a lot of us, that schedule went out the window this summer, right, with vacations and everything. Don't stop. Just pick it back up. Where'd you end? Where'd you stop? Just pick it back up. Start reading again. Just pull it back together. And get on it, because you will find things that will astound you. But the question for this morning is, where, where does that happen the best? This is kind of one-way communication, right? We're thinking together, God anoints the ministry of preaching. He always has. He calls us to do it. Uh, that's the role. I better do my job. I better do it well. You better listen well, right? And you need to see if I'm telling the truth and go in the Word and find out. But where does this happen the best? happens in the setting of community groups, right? Because you can ask questions. And by the way, if you feel like you're years behind, community groups is the best place to be because you can actually say, I, I don't get what this pastor's talking about. Or Pastor Steve was talking last week and he said this. What did he mean by that? And you get answers and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not behind anymore. Right? It's a fantastic give and take where um, it uses different skills. And so I want to encourage you that for the word, community groups are a fantastic avenue of delving and finding things in the Word you never found before. It also says they devoted themselves to fellowship. 
right? Fellowship is a weird word because it's really not an English word we use, and it's 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 kind of mean. We know what it means. It kind of means joining a group, but we're not talking about something like joining the Elks or the Shriners or you know something like that, or a hobby group or you know like a steelhead fishing group here in the Northwest or something like that. It, it carries a different connotation. There's another phrase that captures, I think, much better, and it's called the communion of the saints. The called out ones, the found ones, the ones that Jesus has found and he's brought together and they experience fellowship together or the communion of the saints, the connection with Jesus in other people. Yes, I know Jesus, but he's also in other people. He's in that weird person sitting next to you, right? And they know Jesus. And in that, when we get in a community group, we start to see different expressions about that and realize God is vastly more diversified than we would ever want to be, right? I would want everybody to be like me and all the churches to look the same and just cookie cutter them out and that's what it means to be Christian. God allows all kinds of diversity that I like, really? Uh, yep, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. But fellowship, uh, you know, when you come from the outside, it, it cannot make sense. I know it didn't to me. It, back before I knew the Lord, I was at college and there was a group and they were going to have one of the Packer coaches come in and talk. And so they had a big poster, and here's this poster of the Packer coach. So I looked at all the information, and I tracked down, and I saw it was sponsored by the Navigators. I didn't know who that was. I thought it was the sailing club at school, all right? If you know the Navigators, it's a big-time memorized scripture, uh, discipleship, lead people to Jesus, win the world kind of group, right? I thought it was a sailing club. So I go and knock on the door. My two guys that live next to me, Mike and Mike, there was Big Mike and Little Mike. I don't have time to tell the story. Fascinating, funny story. But So Big Mike answers the door and I said, Hey, Mike, I want, I, I, he said, what you up to, Mitch? I said, I want to go to your uh, sailing meeting tonight. <laughs> he goes, sailing meeting? I said, yeah, you know the one with the Packer coach coming and you guys are sponsoring it, the, the deal? And he goes, awesome, Mitch. We'd love to have you. <laughs> Never told me. Had no idea what I was walking into. I again ran into this word uh, as I was being corralled and lassoed for Jesus with that very same Packer coach who called me up and invited me to his Bible study. And I can't figure out why a Packer coach is calling me to a Bible study because that, I mean, in Green Bay, the Packers are more God than God ever dreamed of being. All right. And so why is this guy calling me? And, and he says, and by the way, Steve, we have marvelous fellowship. I think there we're back to the boats again. What is with the boat thing? I don't, you know, uh, that was just language I didn't understand. But now being in it, I totally understand what he's talking about is we have communion together. We are connected. We are tied together in our group. You're welcome to come. And so I experienced the most amazing fellowship I ever had. I would be invited over for dinner and we would have dinner and then uh, they would jump around a piano and they'd start singing. Now, if you're 20-something, that's not the hottest thing in the world going on. I found it the most galvanizing thing I'd ever done in my life. And they talked to me and they helped me and they spoke words of just truth into my life and it was an incredible, incredible deal. I experienced firsthand what I didn't even know it was. And if you're out on the outside, you just starve. You're lonely. You've got nobody. If you're in a community group, you've got posse. 
You got people. That's where people care. That's where people will say, hey, how did that interview go? Or how did that go? And they keep in touch with you and they track with you. Why? Because they're part of your tribe. They're part of your posse. They're part of your community group. And you express the, uh, you experience the community of the saints. The other thing is you experience accountability. Here's what I found out about uh, what I've learned about accountability. Accountability can't be demanded. It can only be given. Right? You ever try to demand account? Now you, right? You ever do this? Now you are accountable for this, and I'm going to check up on you. How well does that work? But if you come in a group and say, "Hey, I've got some struggles. Would you be willing to walk with me? I'd, I'd be willing to give you permission to check up on me how I'm doing." That's a completely different thing. That's a gift. That's given, and that's something that is happens often in a small group. Does not happen often in a big group. It. Um, you know, when you think about it, that's the context that it takes place the best. And then the last piece, of, one of the things you experience that I think is wonderful, laughter. Right? You get in a small group and you start talking together and funny things, and you laugh together, right? And you cry together, and you just experience life on life together. And the whole theme of what we're trying to say is don't do life alone. If you are out on the fringes, come on in. Come into a community group. Don't do life alone. The third thing, and I like this one. I hope you guys will like this one too, but it says they uh, devoted themselves to breaking bread together. I like that one. I like food. All right, awesome deal. And, uh, but there's, food does something. It's incredible. You ever been in kind of a cold conversation? Uh, maybe it's a whatever business or talking about the Lord, and then you go and have breakfast together, and all of a sudden it warms up? There's just something that food brings to it that changes the tone and the direction of a conversation. There's something special when you get to eat with other people. Hey, would you come to our house and have a barbecue together? Just something like that, that simple, changes the tone. I learned this early in youth ministry, right? If, uh, if you try to go cold, it, you don't get much, right? Uh, I remember talking to students, how are you doing? Good. Where's your walk with God? Hmm. Um, or I don't know, right? You ever try that, right? It's kind of hard. But I found, man, if I bought them a big burger and I bought them a big chocolate shake or a big Coke and then I let them get halfway through that burger and halfway through that shake and then I asked the question, they would tell me things they wouldn't tell their best friend. It was unbelievable. All of a sudden, I was their best friend. Why? Because they like food. They're hungry. Teens are always hungry. I buy them food. If I buy them food, I'm their buddy. If I'm their buddy, they can trust me. Block, Right? And so Coke Talks became famous because it opened a door for people to talk where they never would talk before. And that's true in community groups. So you sit around, come in and come in, all of a sudden you have some dessert or something, and boom. Don't the conversations just roll out? And, and that's what happened with these guys. They broke bread. They had meals together. And it was powerful. Once you begin to eat, you can have a really good conversation. I don't think adults are all that different. Okay. In my experience, that's why I do a lot of breakfast, a lot of lunch with people and meet or have coffee together or something like that because just even, I don't do coffee, I do hot chocolate, but I pretend I go to Starbucks and order hot chocolate and pretend like I'm a Starbucks. I was with a buddy the other day. He ripped off the double grande, triple macchiato, doom dry float thing, right? I was like, wow, that is awesome. You know another language. Could I have a hot chocolate, please? But I found even just something as simple as that 
there's something to that that opens the conversation and, and sets the table for going deep. I think that's one of the reasons if you look in the Gospels, so many of the stories are centered around what? Meals. Jesus eating with his disciples or Jesus eating with other people. Just think of the different, you know, right? They're walking through rolling wheat. They're eating as they're talking on the Sabbath. Uh, they, uh, the wedding at Cana. You have um, all the stories. Of, well, the most famous is what? The Last Supper. Most crucial time, what did Jesus do? He had a meal and tried to prep them for what was ready to come. It was done over the course of a meal. I, I want to suggest to you that's where the best stuff happens. Okay? And so here, this is good, but we don't have food. But in a community group, you're going to have food, and you can sit around, and you can talk, and the conversation is going to go in a lot of directions. It's going to go deeper. It's going to go wide. It's going to go all over the place. And it just changes the depth of your ownership in terms of this place. Next one is they, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. But then they devoted themselves to prayer. And this is one that has been a theme for me and is important to me. Uh, Martin Luther says, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but rather laying hold of his willingness. I like that one. Corey Ten Boom said, Don't pray when you feel like it, because if you prayed when you feel like it, how often would you pray? Right? Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees, Corey Ten Boom. And the point there is that when you get into regular prayer, it makes a big difference. And when we're talking about prayer, it has a powerful force. There's a legendary story of Charles Spurgeon in his church, the tabernacle, which is back in the day in the 1800s. And if you go back in that day, he was speaking to eight to 10,000 people, sometimes as high as 15,000 without a microphone. We're talking the era of great oratory, right? And uh, the guys had lungs like steel. I mean, it was just unbelievable. But some guys came to the church and they had heard about it. They wanted to see what made that place great. What made it tick? What made it really roll? And so they were there and the guy stood up and said, oh, would you like to see the church? And they said, well, yeah. And he took them around and they said, would you like to see the boiler room? And uh, they said, well, sure, because he was nice, but they didn't know why he'd go to the boiler room. When he went to the boiler room, he opened it up and inside the furnace room down there were 700 people praying for the services that were about to happen. And he said, this is the power of the church right here. That man who led them was Charles Spurgeon. They didn't know it was him. Right? And he attributed to the power of his ministry to the prayer that took place before. And I've always had that in my heart, uh, all through youth ministry and then through family ministry and then here as the head guy. I have always coveted having a prayer time before the services begin because I know so much depends on what Jesus and the Holy Spirit bring and not what I bring. And every Sunday morning, this is an open invitation. At 8.10, we meet up in the conference room. And uh, it's an open meeting. We meet from 8.10, we pray to 8.30, and then we break and come down here. All the day that there would be 700 people in that conference room praying for our services. Wouldn't that be spectacular? We'd probably need a bigger room. Probably need a bigger room. Now, why am I emphasizing this so much? Why is it such a point? The reason the point, I've emphasized uh, fairly strongly prayer here at Northview and the need for us to be praying uh, being a praying group, with the special, the special emphasis on the importance of couples praying together. And uh, 
the statistics are that 80% of all Christian couples do not pray together. It does not mean they don't pray. They pray a lot, but they don't pray together. And I have said that I think that's a strategy of Satan. I think it's a strategy to weaken the church. I think it's a strategy to weaken couples. I think it's a strategy to let a lot of things slide when otherwise it shouldn't slide. And one of my encouragements is that couples should pray together. You thought I would get off that theme. You thought I'd let it go. You thought I wouldn't bring it up again. You're like, I'm sick of hearing that from you. I'm going, good. When we all start praying together, I will shut up. All right? But until then... We have a need that we have to accomplish, and that is we have to learn to pray together. Where's the best place to learn to pray together? Isn't it in a small group? Isn't it in a place where you've got some trusted friends? And one of the great things about a small group is that you can be and you can listen to others pray. A lot of how I learn to pray is listening to how my mentors pray and reading how others prayed through history and watching how other people address God. And I know that my prayer life has changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Uh, For one thing, I address God far more respectfully than I ever did when I first started out. But I learned from listening to others. Well, not too many of us are going to stand up and pray in a large group like this. A lot of us, that's just not our gig. That's not how we operate. It's not how we work. But in the context of a community group, that can happen very easily. And suddenly you can be there with your spouse and praying. And by the way, if you're a single person, that's a fantastic place to be. Right? You say, well, I don't have a mate to pray. No, but you have your tribe and posse to pray with. And they are your family and they will be your voices and they can pray with you. And you will have all kinds of things that work out that way because you've got people stepping in the gap with you. Right? It's just prayer is just uh, really important. Now, I know it's not always possible, especially in the case where one of the marriage partners is not a believer. But for the vast majority of us, that's not true. We don't, it's hard for us to set a regular time. What's better than setting one time a week where we get together with a group and part of the responsibility there is we pray together over the needs that become apparent in our group and for our church. I think that's kind of self-explanatory. There's two other ones that I want to add to that list this morning. And one is when I hit crisis. Often we think of crisis like when Gary had a heart attack or someone dies in the family. Certainly uh, having a small group makes a difference. But I want to suggest that most of life is crisis, right? Don't you kind of go from one crisis to the next or one problem solving to the next problem solving? And sometimes stuff hits you and you're just sitting there scratching your head like, what do I do with that one, right? And in a community group in a small group what's so powerful is someone can say hey um have you thought of this like for example say hey, I'm, I'm 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 thinking about making a job change and then someone group says hey well did you do this or this or this i didn't even think about those things or even where they say hey i can't really help you with that but i can pray for you and i have somebody you should go talk to and they lead you to somebody that That's happened for a lot of us where in our small groups it's led us to answers that we would have been fishing for forever and in a community group gets answered in the night or gets answered in three weeks because they knew where to send us, they knew where to take us or they knew who to ask, right? If I'm out on the outside, I can sit here and pray forever, but if I don't have people I'm talking to, I'm I'm not in the network of the body, the body of Christ. And the body of Christ can really help me. Well, how do I do that? I've got to get tied into a small group. I've got to get tied into a community group that knows me and we know 
how to learn to ask questions together. And so I think crisis is really important uh, for that. We talked about how the church was scattered. The church went into immediate crisis, right? You have seven chapters in Acts, all greatness, people being added daily, thousands coming to Christ, and then boom, persecution, blow up, Paul's going after the church, and it just gets obliterated into a debris field all over the Middle East. And yet it survived. How did it survive? It survived by small groups. We did not, we, by the grace of God, have not experienced uh, any kind of significant persecution in our country, at least not yet. May that always be true. May God have mercy. But if that day comes, the church will survive. It probably won't survive in this format, but it will survive in that. It says Paul went from house to house dragging people and putting them in prison. But notice he couldn't get to all of them, right? He couldn't get to all of them. And so that's one of God's primary ways of keeping the church alive during difficult times. And then I want to suggest the last one to you. This one you maybe haven't thought of. But if none of that has convinced you, I want to give you one that I think is very potent and very important. There is a practice that uh, a lot of us have gotten away from. Uh, We don't think it's necessary. And that's the confession of our sins. If you go to James chapter 5, it says this. It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Most of us have, uh, for example, I have, but we have a picture of a Catholic take on that where you go to the confessional, you confess to a priest, and then you walk out and your sins are confessed, right? In a Protestant world, we say, oh, I talk straight to Jesus. I don't talk to no human. I talk only to Jesus. And it's interesting here, the Bible doesn't say that's wrong and does, it actually applauds that. But there's a piece here I want you to catch that we often miss. Look at that passage in James again. It says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, and what's the word? Healed. Not saved. Not washed, not cleansed. Healed. In other words, what's missing in a lot of our fellowship? Healing. Where does healing take place? In the confession of sin. Repentance is turning. Repentance is turning. And we understand that, right? As an event, many of us came to Christ. We were doing our life our way. Jesus talked to us. We had an argument with him for a while. Some of us more stubborn than others. And then we changed our thinking. We agreed to move from our thinking to his thinking. That's called repentance. And in that, The Holy Spirit uses that to where faith is born and then you become saved. Most of us understand that as an event. But repentance is a way of life. I I find myself repenting now and it's it's really unique. Um, I can now look back and actually I have things flash in my mind. I think sometimes Satan's doing it. Of things I did. And I can now see what I did 25 years ago for what it really was, not what I thought it was. Okay. Notice all the older people are nodding. Young people, listen up. And I can see it for what it is. And I go, Ugh, yuck. I repented of what I thought it was 25 years ago. 25 years later, I can look back and go, 
that is awful. That was terrible. That was evil. That was way evil, more evil than I ever thought. Oh my gosh. And I find myself coming back to Jesus saying, Jesus, I am so sorry. Could I repent? And I'm not asking him to re-forgive the sin. I'm not asking him uh, to forgive what he's already forgiven. What am I saying to him? I now can see what you saw 25 years ago. And Lord Jesus, I can see it for what it is. I now see what you saw that I couldn't see. And I'm appalled at what I see. And I'm even more astonished that you forgave me. Could I come back to you and just tell you how sorry I am for doing that with what I know of you now? You know, there's power in that. There's tremendous healing in that. And nine times out of ten, we are not going to do that in a large group. For the reason is that a lot of us aren't wired publicly, right? There's some of us that are, but most of us aren't. You know, it's not get a microphone up here. Okay, Joe, here we go. Get up here, all right? You know, and Brady, and you're next. And okay, Brian, you're next. And then we just confess our sins, and boom, there's healing. That's not good. You know, we have, you know, the revival scene mentality. You know, we, we're familiar. But we also know what went wrong with that. We know how that was manipulated. We know how that stuff got jerked around. And so we're really gunshot. Where can confession of sins really work? I want to suggest to you in a small group in a place where I trust the people who are in that group, and I come in and say, hey, guys, I did not have a very good week this week, and I want to confess something to you that I'm very ashamed of, but I want to confess it because I need you to pray for me. I did not do well this week. And in that context, what's said in the group stays in the group. And that group becomes trusted because they carry, and in that comes tremendous healing. If we want to see... Uh, the church move, we've got to see the church healed. Where does the church get healed? In small groups and community groups is where it happens. Youth guys know this. Youth guys know this with a, with a, a passion. That's why they love camp. What is camp all about? Run kids till they're ragged, put them in small groups, give them some food or sugar especially, and out it comes, right? And through the course of a week, Confession takes place, and then through the course of the week, what happens? Healing takes place. Same was true for adults as well. My point is not to manipulate you. My point is to convince you that community groups, the direction we're going, is the right direction. We're recapturing something that we need to recapture, but it will only be recaptured if we participate in it. And so I want to give those reasons for you. Number one, it's a great place to be devoted to the Word. It's a great place to be committed and experience fellowship. It's a great place to break bread together and have relationships that you walk through. Uh, we're in one. Uh, you know, I look at my life. I've been in small groups all my Christian life. Matter of fact, I do not know how I would have made it apart from the small groups and accountability groups that I've been in. Uh, we're in one right now. and We're just walking uh, our group through and watching the kids grow up and we just popped the first one into college and that Kayla, my oldest daughter, is the first one out of a group of 25 kids that is launching, right? And we're walking life on life together and it's incredibly valuable. We don't want to miss. It's a fantastic time. They broke bread together and they prayed together and in that prayer was the healing not only of the church but of the nations. Let's pray. Father, as we seek you this morning, 
your uh, validation of what we've talked about would be pretty important. And so I seek you, Father, for, for my friends. We know timing is a big issue. We know seasons of life is a big issue. We know calendar is a big issue. We know that uh, young families uh, makes it doubly hard. We know it's hard for singles. Uh, matter of fact, Lord, there's more reasons why small groups or community groups shouldn't work than there are for why they should work. In there is the power of your Spirit. Lord, would you birth in us the ability to have health through the confession of sins, to go through crisis together and to experience the communion of the saints. May that capture us and may we be devoted to it. And we ask this in your name. Amen.